Welcome to episode one of the Farm Exec podcast. Pharmaceutical Executive Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. I'm Michelle Mascali, Senior Editor at Farm Exec Magazine. I cover the latest trends, interview executives about leadership topics, and will be your co-host for this podcast. Hey guys, I'm Kristen Harm, Associate Editor at FarmExec. I write and edit content for the magazine, update and post using our backend systems, and I edit and co-host this podcast. Let's take a minute to introduce you to the rest of our FarmExec team. I'm Lisa Higgins. I'm the social media specialist here at FarmExec, and I'm in charge of posting and keeping you up to date with all of our social media, such as Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. I'm Mike Christel, I'm Managing Editor at FarmExec. Um, I manage our day-to-day print production and lead our copy editing and page design. And I'm Lisa Henderson, Editorial Director of Pharmaceutical Executive, and I am responsible for the content activities of both the print publication and the web site. Hi, I'm Julian Upton. I'm PharmExec's European and online editor. I'm based in the UK, uh, report on both European and global industry trends. I also uh, oversee the coordination of the brand's online content. So let's start out talking about our January issue, which is the FarmExec Industry Outlook, which is an annual report that we put together every year. We had eight trends to watch this year, which we came up with by talking with experts in the industry, talking with our EAB members, and then sort of drilling down into the issues and topics we've heard a lot about at conferences, heard people talk about, and those eight issues ended up being... Patient versus consumer, pricing, the new FDA, emerging markets, EMA on the move, biosimilars, diagnostics, and e-enablement. So Michelle, you concentrated on biosimilars. So why don't you give us a little bit of a background and some key takeaways from what you wrote about them? So biosimilars, the big question is, when is it gonna happen? Is this year gonna be the year? I spoke with Art Cook at ZS Associates who spoke to me about biosimilars and it was really interesting um, interview because he kind of, we talked about it where we feel like the U.S. biosimilar market is in an uncomfortable holding pattern is how we, we kind of framed it. And, but a holding pattern with lots of turbulence. So it's like that time when you're circling above an airport and the plane is just you know almost flipping on its side. That's how turbulent the biosimilar market is these days. Um, and I think biosimilars have been on the horizon forever in the U.S., but no one really knows anything until a lot of these legal cases that are going through the court system right now are decided. So when will that happen? That is the million dollar question, (laughs) Kristen. (laughs) If I had that answer, um, I would be a millionaire (laughs) because, and, and I'm saying this, I'm laughing because everyone who I interviewed for this article, that was the question that I asked them. So it's kind of funny. We didn't rehearse this and you asked that question because I literally asked everyone that question and everyone gave the answer I just gave you. So it's kind of ironic. Um, but 
you know, we don't know. That's the thing. It could be, it couldn't be. Uh, no one, every single person I talk to is saying, you know, it's not 100% certain. And even if the current cases do get resolved, new legal challenges can always be filed and companies are going to try to protect their patents and block biosimilar entry, entry into the U.S. market. So biosimilars, we might be having this exact same conversation again next year on the podcast because we don't really know. However, it creates a really interesting scenario for the companies because all of this turbulence, they're having to prepare for a variety of possible situations. So it's a really uncomfortable uncertainty for the entire industry. And that's a lot of what my article talks about. We have some also great graphics from ZS Associates about the potential biosimilar entrance that you can see on our website. It's going to be really interesting to watch. I've been watching them for a number of years, and I find them very interesting. So, Michelle, let's pretend that the courts rule in favor of the biosimilar companies, um, and there are no additional legal challenges, and a host of biosimilars begin to enter the market. So what will that scenario look like? So the experts that I talk to believe that biosimilar companies are going to be taking an immediate three-pronged approach starting with simultaneously talking to providers and educating physicians on the safety of these products, launching and providing a host of patient support services, and then starting to negotiate with payers. Because that is one thing that, because it's a biosimilar and not a bioidentical, um, some physicians are going to be a little bit nervous about prescribing a biosimilar instead of prescribing their normal biologic. On the flip side, the companies whose drugs are at risk for competition from biosimilars, they're also going to be looking to payers and trying to extend contracts into a three or five year range as a way to derail the biosimilar surge. Because obviously, if biosimilars come into the market, what they're hoping is it's going to drop the biosimilar prices and we're going to get into sort of a, you know, hopefully a pricing war or what they're hoping is going to be a pricing war, not not me specifically. So the experts can make predictions and companies can prepare for various scenarios, but the outlook for biosimilars is kind of up in the air right now based on the legal system. We're still in that turbulence. We're still circling JFK airport right now um, in a whole lot of turbulence is, is kind of the end result. It's certainly going to be interesting to see how it ends up unfolding as the year progresses. But right now let's take a break and when we get back, we're going to talk to Lisa Henderson about e-enablement. Hey, Kristen. Hey, Michelle. What's up? So when I first started working at FarmExec, I didn't realize we had these things called webcasts. Did you? That's really weird. I didn't either, but they're really cool, right? Yeah, totally. It's a great way to learn about the latest trends and issues without leaving your home or office. Actually, you can log on to a live webcast from anywhere, and if you miss it, they're always available on our website at farmexec.com webcasts. You'll find so many topics like pharma's quest to align drug prices with outcomes or best practices for unifying data, content, and regulatory processes. And the presenters are from so many of the industry's top companies like OpenText, PricewaterhouseCoopers, MarkLogic, and more. Head over to farmexec.com webcasts to learn more. We 
have Lisa Henderson, our editorial director here, that goes into one of our other trends, which was e-enablement. Can you talk a little bit about, about that? Right, so the point is um, for e-enablement is that when we as patients go into the office and we're with the physician and we get a prescription or you know a, a thing for a service and we leave we go to the fill the prescription but say we get there and it's like two hundred dollars you know you're gonna walk out either you're gonna be frustrated and I can't believe it costs two hundred dollars you're not gonna fill it you're gonna leave you're just um, just gonna be annoyed and then you're gonna maybe be annoyed with your doctor I don't know I, I would be I, <laughs> I think would be if I didn't, yeah, same. <laughs> why did you <laughs> warn me that this is yeah. the price yeah and um and I was actually talking to this CEO out in uh, JP Morgan and he's with a, a healthcare organization and they're self-insured and he had a similar situation where he took his three-year-old to the doctor she needed a flu shot because as we know the flu is going around right now but she needed Tamiflu so he asked the doctor because the whole family had to get the flu shot now so that's five flu shots and she didn't know anything about where to get it or who had it so he was on his phone he had an app that locates all the pharmacies and how much it's gonna cost you know because it's like it could be anywhere from 250 to 350 depending where you go so that's you know five shots is a lot so anyway he was saying that and how frustrated you know it was for him and then came to mind that that's part of the e enablement so what farm is trying to do is to make doctors lives a little easier but also help them and help get prescriptions filled. So as part of the EHR, um, you know, they can electronically write prescriptions, we all know that, but there's also electronic prior authorization. So <clears throat> the doctor can send in the forms right there if you're gonna need prior authorization for a service or a drug. And then <clears throat> the e-enablement is to allow the doctor to have all that information in the EAR. And that information would be, here's the pharmacy that has it for this price, according to your plan, because patients also don't understand why they're in this tier and how come their friend doesn't pay this much and I'm paying this, or if they can get a generic, or if they, even their mail order is up, you know, they will have that on each EHR in front of them. So when they're talking to the patient, or the person, we should say, um, they're not going to be frustrated, you know, they're not going to be, they're going to have the information and at least they're going to know how much it costs. They're going to know where they're going to get it and they know what their benefits are. So the physician becomes kind of back to the trusted person, you know, you trust the person, whereas if a physician doesn't know about how much a drug costs, you're kind of like, well, how do you not know that, you know, even though we know they're super busy. But anyway, so that's what e-enablement, e this next part, it's called e, um, EBV, Electronic Benefits Verification. And uh, that's the next part that's gonna be available in EHRs. And that's from um, UBC standpoint. If I'm a pharmacy CEO listening to this podcast, why do I want this? Why don't I want it? Can you kind of lay out sort of the pros and cons? So if you're talking to your market access people and they keep saying, we can't reach these physicians anymore, the sales world is just, you know, we can't tell them what to prescribe because the managed care plan tells us what to do, you know, tells them what to do and we're losing 
patients. You know, patients are getting frustrated, physicians are getting frustrated. So the pharma CEO would want his market access people to just have more confidence that their physicians who they spend so much time, you know, speaking with and trying to reach that they actually get to the patient and can talk to them in their language so that they can fulfill fill that prescription. So, I mean, if you think about it, it has two roles. It can increase sales, of course. You don't want prescriptions lying around not getting filled, you're losing money, number one. But also, if you think about it, medication adherence is just going to become more important on an outcomes basis. Mm -hmm. So if you're not taking your drug and then your outcomes look bad and then your plan isn't going to pay you back, and when I say you, I mean the pharma company, you know, you're not going to have, you need proof that they're taking it, that it's, it's providing the right outcomes, you know, so you want them to comply. And that's just another helpful step to get people toward compliance and uh, trust. That's interesting. Yeah. frustrates me about business travel, Kristen? Oh boy, I'm a little afraid to ask. Delays. Delays? Yeah, because you're stuck in an airport and you know, you're sitting in one of the executive lounges and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And they have Wi-Fi, which is always great in most of those lounges, but it's so annoying because you're just sitting there and you know, there's only so much work you can do. But did you know that you could download FarmExec's podcast and listen to it the next time you're stuck? Are you serious? Of course. What can I download it from? You can download it off of SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts, and then you can listen to it wherever you are. You could be on the plane. You could be waiting in those ridiculously long lines at security. You could be waiting to get your passport looked at for international travel. You could literally be listening to the Farm Exec podcast anywhere. Even if I'm driving in the car? You could listen to it driving in the car, you could listen to it at the gym, you can listen to it anywhere you have your earbuds. So I don't need any Wi-Fi. No Wi-Fi if you download it. So download it today from SoundCloud or Apple Podcast. I'm going to download it right now. So Michelle, you recently talked to our European editor, Julian, about his trip to the Viva Summit. Yeah, he recently went to the Viva European Commercial Summit in Madrid, Spain at the end of last year, and he found this new technology aimed at KOL management that he thought was really interesting. So we talked a little bit about it, and then he also interviewed uh, Killian Weiss from Viva about it. So why don't we play the clip of you guys talking about it right now? What were some of your takeaways from the summit? Tell us about it. Well, as you know, uh, Viva is a cloud computing company for for the life sciences. Uh, it's seen major growth over the last 10 years. And similarly, this annual summit that it runs is growing uh, exponentially. I know they do one in the U.S., but the one in Madrid that had 875 attendees this year, and it was taking place at a very impressive auditorium hotel, the Madrid Marriott Auditorium Hotel. And I was there. Uh, I joined them to talk about some of their uh, new products and solutions, um, a couple of which stand out. The first, I think, was um, they have a new CRM uh, Engage webinar, what's called a Viva uh, CRM Engage webinar. And um, this is a webinar that's compliant, so it can be integrated with, with other systems that the Viva have, like Viva Vault and Viva CRM, and it ensures that only 
uh, approved compliant content is discussed on the webinar and it validates attendee credentials. So this is something I've, I've not actually thought about before, the fact that, you know, farmer people having webinars, um, everything said that's said on the webinar needs to be compliant. So that was an interesting, that's an interesting development. But what caught my eye specifically was the Viva Oncology uh, Link solution, which is a recently released solution, uh, which is basically an, an AI solution for selecting and engaging with KOLs. So it's, 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 a, it's a software system that you know, is supposed to replace some of this the subjective process that a pharma company has to go through in identifying, you know, scientific experts. So what did you find distinctive about it? Like, what caught your eye? Well, there's a lot of interesting uh, points to it. I mean, it's, it's a software tool that basically uh, you, you can access thousands and thousands of KOL profiles, and you can identify experts very quickly. So, for example, if you wanted to build an advisory board around a specific subject, maybe biomarkers in China. This uh, Viva Oncology tool is offering to do this in seconds um, when, it would used to, when it used to be months. So um, it's quite, I think it's quite revolutionary. It's quite, quite exciting. But of course, I was um, interested in, well, you know, the old system, the old way of selecting KOLs, the old way of identifying experts is, um, is, is quite subjective. This software solution is about taking the subjectivity out of that. So what interested me was, well, can you do that? Can you can you take the subject, subjectivity out of it? Um, and, um, and and anyway, what was wrong with the old system? You know, uh, and of course, um, I spoke to Killian Weiss, who is um, Viva's uh, the Oncology uh, Link General Manager, and um, so I wanted to know, you know, how does this improve on the old system, and what what was wrong with the old way of doing things? And, and you had. actually recorded a clip, right, on the Yeah, this, this is yeah. what he had to say. I'll cue him up, and um, this is what he had to say about it. I, would, I mean, it was failing across every therapeutic area, um, and it created a lot of pain with the industry, but also with the customers. It's kind of especially relevant in oncology because you have all these different kind of teams and tumor types um, that are overlapping and kind of not coordinating that's not central data. So it's worse in oncology, but it's certainly a problem across therapeutic areas. Now, what, why was it such a big problem? Um, if, if you think, well, look at one of our early adopters, we have a top 10 pharma company who has deployed Oncology Link globally. We really saw two quite amazing things. One, this huge internal inefficiency. They had more than 100 projects globally in one single year mapping key opinion leaders. And that created a huge spend. No one knew, knew about it because it was all these little fragmented projects. It was millions and millions. And there was just all this waste in spending, but also it created a big inefficiency operationally. Um, they had five different systems hosting this data. They had hundreds of lists flying around. There were like discussions again and again. What does a KOL mean? No central framework for data format. So it was just a big mess, and in the end, the data was kind of out of date anyway, so no one used it. So big inefficiency on the pharma side. But what I thought was so fascinating is I actually spent a lot of time speaking with scientific experts, like some of the top guys who just interviewed someone, actually record, uh, recorded this, um, who's heading MD Anderson's uh, oncology department here in Madrid, and we're getting the same message from everyone. 
which is we have a really bad customer experience with the industry engaging with us, not knowing what the other person is doing. So it's, it's not just the kind of an inefficiency, but like it, it really creates a terrible customer experience with all these teams overlapping, not coordinating, with the probably most important customers on earth. Wow, that's actually, that sounds really interesting. Um, so what did you find out about the old method? Because I think you, you talked about that too, right? Yeah, so what he's saying there is, is really that, um, you know, the old method was, was very fragmented and caused a lot of problems across a, a company in terms of they're not um, harmonizing their data when they're talking to KOLs and, uh, you know, they're not, they're not, um, they're not coordinating their approaches to KOLs, certainly if lots of teams are appro- uh, you know, approaching the same KOLs, as he said. So that leads to a, a customer problem, too. Um, the KOL has a problem. You know, if you've got people calling you from the same company, different people calling you from the same company. So um, it made a lot of sense that, um, you know, to automate that, if you like. Um, but that, that still leaves the issue of what I mentioned before of um, taking the subjectivity out of it. Is it, is it dangerous to take the subjectivity out of such a such a process in terms of dealing with human beings, dealing with experts, you're you're engaging with them, and so I, I have another clip to play, which was his response to that, which I thought was was also interesting. So um, this yeah, is what Killian, yeah, what, what Killian had to say about you know the the question of subjectivity and objectivity. So <clears throat> I, I think one of the things we clearly learned is algorithms can't replace local market knowledge and can't replace strategy. So there certainly needs to be some thinking. Um, but what we're seeing is that this data capability really kind of does 90% of the work. And it really helps the teams focus on the 10% of the work where they have to think. So, for example, our tool can really know if someone is an expert in biomarkers. And if we care about biomarkers, we have to talk to this person. And there needs to be a dialogue with an MSL or someone else. Like, why are we not engaging this person? And that's really healthy. There might be some reasons why it really makes sense not to engage. Could be an access restriction by the by the institution. And that's really where the where the subjective, almost sort of personal market knowledge kicks in. Where we see the great efficiencies, really, a it saves lots of time. We can do 90% of the work, but then we're forcing that dialogue on the last 10% and really get everyone to think. So I suppose what, what he's saying there is that, um, you know, we can't get rid of subjectivity totally, and I think that's kind of reassuring, is that, you know, the software solution does, or says it does, 90% of the work, which leaves 10% of of, uh, of work for, for human thinking, if you know what I mean. So, um, you know, uh, I, I actually thought that's interesting. This day of day and age of AI solutions, you know, we, we, we still have an element of uh, certainly of, of, of human interaction, and that's obviously important with engaging with KOLs. But certainly, um, made a convincing he made a convincing um, uh, job of you know telling telling us what what it can do. And I think uh, you know I think it's going to be interesting to see how it develops in oncology. Whether companies are going to use it. I think they've got five early adopters at the moment. It's a fairly new product, and um, so it's early days. It'll be interesting to see how it changes or how how AI uh, can change this kind of process of dealing with KOLs, of selecting them and identifying them and, and, and finally engaging with them. And, of course, then the, the, the question will be whether it moves, you know, they're going to move it beyond oncology or whether they're going to move it beyond therapy areas. 
So um, I thought that was an interesting, uh, certainly one of the interesting points uh, to take away from, from this year's conference. Well, that was a really informative discussion from you and Julian. Thanks, Kristen. I think it'll be very interesting to watch AI as we go forward. But for now, it is time to close out this week's podcast with our feature, Leadership Tips from Pharma Execs. Hi, I'm Julia Cheek, the CEO of Everly Well, based in Austin, Texas. One of my best leadership tips is to always hold to your principles. One of my business school professors, Clayton Christensen, famously said, it's easier to hold to your principles 100% of the time than it is to hold to them 98% of the time. To me, this holds true in life and in business. As a CEO or a leader, you set the standard for the company and for the team. Your name and your reputation are all you have. And while many decisions will be hard, you can always choose to do the right thing, even in very tough situations. When you go the extra mile or do something you didn't have to for someone, it often won't be reciprocated, but it's still worth doing. As a founder and as a leader, there are a lot of tough calls, and you want to wake up every day and be proud of your actions. Thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's FarmExec podcast. We're always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the FarmExec staff is working on. Remember that you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at FarmExec, on Instagram at FarmExecutive, and on YouTube, which you can find on our website. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email editorial director lisa.henderson at ubm.com. And for sponsorship or ad opportunities, please email our publisher, Todd Baker, at todd.baker at ubm.com.